0: Reopening your restaurant comes with great responsibility. Are you doing everything you can to keep your staff and guests safe? With Trust20 certification, you and your guests can feel confident you're doing everything you can to keep everyone safe. Trust20 is home to the new standard of restaurant safety and consumer comfort. By becoming a Trust20 certified restaurant, diners will know the practices you follow to create a safe and healthy environment. Have confidence you're going above and beyond minimal requirements. Have comfort knowing your practices have been independently verified. To learn more, visit Trust20.co. That's Trust, the number 20.co. Trust20 restaurants have access to a suite of resources that include expert-led training in four key areas, individual consultants, communication material, and signage. When you visit Trust20.co and tell them you heard about them on Nashville Restaurant Radio. Trust20, partnering with you to keep everyone safe. Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio, a podcast for and about the people of the Nashville restaurant scene. Now here's your host, the CEO of New Light Hospitality Solutions, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City, and welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. My name is Brandon Still, and I am your host and today is a fun episode for me because I get to interview my good friend, Stephen Smithing. We get to have a conversation about all kinds of things. It was kind of a weird interview because, um, you know, Stephen's a good personal friend of mine. We work together and uh, I've never really got to interview somebody that, like this I'm this close to. So hopefully you enjoy it and uh, you get to take something from here. We kind of share some of the secrets and stuff that we're working on and, um I hope that you like it. We are going to be doing a live episode of the Roundup tomorrow at three thirty on our Facebook page. Matt Bolus is going to be our guest host, and um, that show will be out on Friday. And then next week we have got Hal Holdenbeach from Lachlan Tables going to be on the show, as well as Jensen Cummings, who is the host of the Best Served Podcast. And then we're going to take a two week break from live episodes we're going to do some uh, best of shows while we recenter and reset and get some new equipment in here and do some new cool things so uh so updating uh, updating some stuff make sound better make everything better uh check out trust 20 you heard their ad at the beginning of this episode they are doing amazing things to help you prepare to make sure that your guests and your staff are completely safe Uh, check them out at trust20.co and go visit SpringerMountainFarms.com. Uh, Springer Mountain Farms, join the flock. You know, you hear me talk about this. Go in there, enter your email address, and you will get a weekly email with farm updates, podcast updates, as well as just general news about what they're doing. You'll get recipes. There's also a really cool thing on their website where you can uh, locate where you can buy their chicken. So at restaurants and grocery stores. Uh, there's also a coupon on there, as uh, Chris Chamberlain noted for us the other day that uh, he used to do some work with Spring Mountain Farms Chicken. is a big fan. So let's jump right in to our episode with Stephen Smithing. With much excitement, I would like to welcome in Stephen Smithing to Nashville Restaurant Radio. Stephen, how you doing? Pleasure, Brandon.
1: Good to be here. I know we've talked about it a bunch of times, and I certainly love listening to your your programs. And you got the good job. You get to talk to all the, the fun people. You know, it takes a <laughs> while to go down the fun meter to get to me. <laughs> but, you know, I'm a humble man. You know, it's part humility is a big part of the restaurant business. So I get it.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> Thank you. You're 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 kind of right. I do have a fun job. You do, and. This is kind of a dream of mine to sit and talk to restaurant tours. I can I feel like I could talk about restaurants, just like restaurant stuff for just hours and hours on end. I just love it. and you're you're kind of the same way, aren't you?
1: Yeah, well, it's what I love to do. you know you find what you love to do in life, you're pretty lucky and I found it pretty early. I love to serve people. And you know, a when lot it, of people didn't want to do that. I certainly was not raised by restaurateurs, and you know, I ran off. I was the dishwasher at uh, Mortimer's on Perkins in Memphis when I was 16 years old. My sister's boyfriend went off to Ver- University of Virginia, and he asked if I wanted his job, which was not dishwashing, but that's where I got to start. But it wasn't a big deal. I was a good dishwasher.
0: I bet you were. Um, 16 years old in Memphis, dishwasher, house did – you. Tell us your, kind of how you came up. What did you do well, after that?
1: Well, I actually started working when I was 14. My brother and I worked at the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis. We sold cokes and popcorn, and we just had the greatest time. All you had to do was go in there and walk up and down the stairs and hawk popcorn and peanuts and cokes, and you know, now every time I go to a game, you know, with to, with you at the Preds or, you know, <clears throat> watching the Titans game, all the adults have taken what used to be kid jobs. I mean, I did that job when I was 14 years old. I saw cheap trick. I saw Prince twice. Saw Loverboy. Nice. You know. Saw the Scorpions. <laughs> I mean, I saw all these bands, and I'm not a music guy. You know that. Uh, but what? A, what? A, what a great gig! You know. I mean, I, you learn early to talk to people. One too big a deal, and it's all types of people, and they're not all nice to you, and they give you a hard time. And we had a good time. I could handle it.
0: I I feel like that's why I would like drive Uber. You know, like I just like talking to people and I love gaining different perspectives from different people. I just have fun. I just have fun doing it.
1: Well, that's the fun and easy part of the restaurant business. When you know, on a Friday night, when you get to come and you come to work when it's busy and you just get to talk to people. And you know, as long as you have enough food and enough people and you've done everything right and you've planned and executed. I mean, that 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 adrenaline rush you get, you know, going into a Friday night knowing you're going to achieve that and talk to people, you know, and talk to people you don't know. And it's just a great time. And it's fun every day and it's different
0: every day. So we call that turbo boost.
1: I, I, we did call that. We do call that turbo booster. That's where that came from. Christopher and I, my brother, Christopher, who I work with, who's my chef at, at both restaurants. He, uh, you know, they, we say when you're going into Easter Sunday, you gotta, you gotta know you gotta have some turbo boost. And some people just don't have it. They don't have that second gear, that third gear that you got to move into for sometimes four and five and six hours at a time, you know, they're like, oh, this is terrible. And I remember I was with this kid upstairs at Mirable one time and he was a brand new guy and he was just moaning and groaning about how miserable he was. And I thought, oh, he's not going to last because I'm having a great time. I'm going to walk 18 miles today up and down the stairs of my restaurant. well fine.
0: Which is, I think that's where you and I find a lot of uh, shared understanding. And we, we sync really well is that we both have that turbo boost. Like when, Like holidays, working Thanksgiving or Christmas Eve at Bowl is a crazy, crazy experience. I mean, I imagine that's what it's like working at like a Hattie B's all day on a summertime, you know, Saturday or something, you know, like every week. They're
1: lucky because they just find people who love to do that. And eventually you kind of cull through and we love to do it, too. And, you know, when you watch really young people do it and then you watch people who are older than me do it. And you just buckle down. If you mentally prepare to be busy and you know physically this is going to be exhausting, I mean, on Thanksgiving evening, I, I don't go home and sit around very often. I, I usually go home, have a glass of wine, uh, eat whatever we have there to eat, and, th- and then I go to bed. It's the easiest night to fall asleep of the year.
0: because so the- You're open every... We just did a video for you and you talk, it was a, um, reading a one-star review. But working on holidays, is that just something that you've always done because you're in the service industry is it why why are you open on all the holidays in
1: our business well it's when we generate revenue i mean at Maribel, we generate eight percent of our total gross sales in seven days that's when people come out and, and you know you talk, we're an event-driven restaurant that people have you know weddings and rehearsal dinners and meetings and you know large functions but when I bought that restaurant, we weren't doing any sales on holidays because nobody wanted to work then. And, oh, we shouldn't have to work. And, and I said, well, this is an opportunity for us to create an event. I mean, lots of people want to come out. On Thanksgiving, everybody comes in there and they're like, I, why did this many? I never thought this many people would come out for Thanksgiving. And I'm like, well, if you're in town with, you know, and your mom and dad live up the street, you don't have any kids or you got two kids and, you know, you want to get together just a couple people and you don't want to have this giant endeavor, we'll do all the work. And it is yep. a lot of work.
0: I've always said, like if, you know, people would say the same thing. And I think it's, if, if you didn't have to cook a Turkey and Brian it the night before and do all of the shopping and all of the cooking and all of the dishes and all of the whole thing, if you could go out to eat, have all of those things prepared for you, have a good times of family and then go back home for just dessert or wine or whatever, no dishes, no prep, nothing like, well, now I can spend five or seven extra hours with my family watching football. It's, yeah. not, a bad, it's not a bad deal.
1: I mean, I, if and when I retire, I, I may do it. I don't. I mean, I'm probably not going to do it forever, but right now it's, it's what I do. And when you get everybody else, when you're there, it does make a difference sometimes to have the, you know, the general manager or the, you know, the director of operations or you know, the owner of the restaurant there doing it with them. Because I'm like, y'all can just, you can complain, but these people, I, I tell people, I said, remember, this is their holiday. This is their Mother's Day. Be super nice and treat people graciously because they're coming here to us. I mean, we fed 1,200 people on Mother's Day. This year we fed zero. Uh, but the Mother's Day before, we fed 1,200 people and we did a good job with it. We had a good product. People were happy. We were able to get you know, the other people generally in and out at the correct times. And, and it went well. I mean, when it rains on Mother's Day, and you have already planned on having people come on the patio because two days ago it said it wasn't going to rain. That makes it a little trickier. Um uh, hmm. But you know that that's what happens, and not everybody gets up at the right time.
0: No, they most certainly don't. And I feel like we need to I, I, I want to come full disclosure with our listeners right now. And I mean, you know, I think that you've been on the roundup a few times, we've done some brief interviews. Um, but you and I have worked together. We've I was the director of operations for both Green Hills Grill and Maribel um recently, and so you and I have done a lot of these evenings together we've worked a lot of these shifts together and I don't I, I don't want to have this interview and be like I want people to know like we know each other we've worked together for a while and I've we started our relationship gosh 15 years ago when you were opening the Caney Fork Fish Camp and Bistro 215 in Green Hills and so I, I like telling stories about how we went through these nights and we went through I because I, I want people to know like I'm it's tough me asking questions to you. Cause it's like, I know. Well, when I
1: hired is. you, when I hired you to be the director of operations, I, I did make it clear that I didn't hire you needing you to work on holidays. That was not the purpose of why I was hiring you Was to have an extra experienced hand on holidays. Typically on holidays, if you have enough food and enough people labor, your shift goes, okay. You know, barring some unforeseen circumstances, one Easter, we had the ceiling fall in at uh, a during the shift. That was, that was the loudest noise I ever heard in a restaurant. Uh, but fortunately we had gotten all the people out because they noticed the big crack there. Uh, we fixed all that, but I, I didn't need you to work on those days. But as part of our culture, you, I think you kind of wanted to, plus, you know, you like that dry, that, you know, that, that build up and excitement as well.
0: I feel like that's why we do it. I mean, you that's know, we, fun. we talked about, we kind of identified core values. When we went through all this stuff. We talked about um, that feeling, you know, the, and I'll, I'll go back to, Back in the day and kind of my my theory in working in restaurants is somewhat old school because I believe in the, you know, the fundamentals, just like the ABCs of running a restaurant. And that's, you know, getting the 60 second greet, getting a drink back, making sure that uh, you explain everything. The menus are good. The restaurants clean. The bathrooms clean, that you're all running food, full hands in, full hands out, just kind of doing the basics And I think so many people pass that. But one of the things that's always kind of drawn me to you, and I mentioned in the episode with Pat Martin, that people who are super passionate and super talented, I'm drawn to. Like there's a gravitas. I'm just like, I want to be around them. And you've always been that guy. You've always been a guy who, as an owner, you are bussing tables, your hands on, you're doing all of the things, and I've always respected the hell out of that with you. Um, so no, I think you, that man. coming in, working in a holiday next to you, there's something special. There was always something special about being there on New Year's Eve, when the when your hair's on fire and it's crazy, and it's you're with the owner and the executive chef and a, as the director of operations we're all bussing tables we're all greeting tables we're all doing all of the things and that was the culture that that it's always been
1: that well that is the culture it's always been do whatever it takes and I, you know, I i work on friday nights and sunday mornings most of the time most people in life think i'm going to do everything i can in my whole life never to have to work on a friday night or a sunday morning to me it doesn't really bother me it was never the it was never the end of the world i didn't i mean I, I, I honestly it's when the people come to my restaurant and don't Whatever you do for a living, don't you need to be there when you need to be there? And for a lot of people, they're blessed. They can you know, log on, log off, and do their work at different times. You know, I think one of the things in the pandemic that, that people have realized, I was reading the other day, this guy said, work for me was always about going to work, and now it's about doing my work, and there's such a huge difference because I don't have to spend all that time going to work and going home from work, but I do have to schedule my time so that I can get it all done. In restaurants is different we still have to go to work and we still have to be there to make it happen do i have to be there every day every moment i i don't you know if you have other good people to do that uh then you're and you're blessed then it works out pretty well but you have to trust them to do it and it takes a while to give up their trust some people can never do it
0: so when it comes to hiring good people one of the things that I, I you know this is an interesting interview for me because i'm so fat there's a lot of things we could talk about here um but I want to go in the route of finding good people because I feel like there's a lot of things that you do that I want to help. I want to share some of the things that you do to our listening audience to hopefully help them. I, we're in a time of COVID nineteen where a lot of people are trying to identify new things to do. We're all the the buzzword right now is what pivot, right? So we're all pivoting to different things. I've talked about your delivery system at Greenhouse Grill and Maribou a hundred times. How you've been doing it in house. You came on the roundup and you've talked about that. We're not going to get into that too much because you can go to our YouTube page and watch the video where you talk about that. But hiring the right people is something that every single person out there struggles with. How do you do the interview process? What do you do? How do you hire people? You use something Mm -hmm. called culture index. Will you talk about culture index and how you got started with it? And let's introduce everybody to the secret behind some of your hiring.
1: Well, first of all, I have to go back before culture index and and to make it realize that I'm not a great HR person. I'm not the perfect hire. Um, You know, it, it, there's no, I don't have this genius sense or anything like that. In fact, I I trust people far too much and I want what's best of them. I I do think I start out with the realization that I'm never going to hire the perfect person. I mean, sometimes we talk about, and I've retained people for a long time, and I have people that have worked with me 27 years, but part of that is because they're not perfect and nor am I. I mean, I call it the home of misfit toys. Everybody has an issue in their life. There, there's something. So I can look at it on paper, and we use Culture Index, which is a traits, basically it's a personality traits profile, which tells people what you're most inclined to want to do. And then it also has a section of saying, in your current job, what do you think you're expected to do? And sometimes you can look at those two, and they're vastly different. It's perfect when they're the same, because you're doing what you should be doing. Obviously, when I hired you and we looked at culture index, we we could we could see it that this is a person who is a strong leader, you know likes people, um, <clears throat> does things quickly, and yet has a high attention to detail. And not every server needs to be that. What we really need in servers, are people who want to come to work, understand that there's routine involved. Some people don't want any routine whatsoever in their lives. they want it to be different every day. Well, restaurants are different every day, but you come to work at the same time, you do the same opening side work, same closing side work, you're punching in the menus generally the same, things like that. Uh, and then you, but what you really can get out of it is whether a person, wants to be the person holding people accountable, which is what managers do. That's why they call them managers. We manage people. Or whether they really want to be a person who never wants to have that job. Some people never want to have that job. So they. it looks different on paper. And it's pretty darn accurate.
0: And the cool thing there is, is that there's no right or wrong in this whole thing. It's not like one is good and one is bad. But hiring somebody who doesn't want to be a leader to be in a leadership position doesn't do them any favors. You know, so I mean, where no. somebody might feel like, oh, I think I wanna be a manager, there's more money in that, or I wanna do this, but that's not their personality. Sometimes you can set people up to fail and they can come in an interview and they can say, can say one thing, but they're not, like, that their aptitude is to do something different. So a lot of people like being on a team. They prefer yeah. to be on a team. And some people want to be the person who's leading that team. I happen to be that kind of person. Yeah. Not not everybody's like that, and I think it's good to identify that on the front end because then you can put people in jobs they want to be in.
1: One of the other things it does pretty well is it identifies people who uh, are have a high aptitude and the desire to look at data, and then the people who don't want to do it at all. Some people never ever want to look at a spreadsheet; they never want to. It's like the last thing they would ever want to do. And yet, other people are like, "Well, give me the data, and I'll look at that, and I can make decisions based upon it, and then I can take that and lead other people." down the road to success or whatever else. But I can't take somebody who has no aptitude, no desire to look at data, and put them in a responsible position, like a general manager, where part of their job is to look at data. I mean, they have to look at the food costs, they have to look at the purchases, they have to look at the you know the, the liquor sale percentages, and, and there's a whole lot of different information there that they need to look at. And if you don't like to do that, then that's the wrong job for you. That's just one of the things general managers sometimes get misplaced upon. They you know, I go home and look at spreadsheets, you know, not all the time. And I don't do that at work, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a big novel reader. I'm a fact reader and some there's nothing wrong with that. I love to read, but I like to read about things that, you know, are, are known and real versus, you know, just about uh, my sister loves to sit and, sit around and, and read novels all day long. My mother did, too. You know, it's a blessing to them. She would prefer to do that all afternoon. I don't mind getting in there. and I'm trying to figure out what to do next or so how to fix something.
0: Yeah. I, I think that that's, 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 and that's, I'm, I'm very similar in that regard. Like that's, that's entertaining to me. It's almost like a, you know, like a crossword puzzle, right? Some people do that like, I, I like to read, cause it's like math, you know, we both like math, yes. this number equals that number. And that equals that number. It never lies.
1: Yeah, It's not like, was a math professor, which was helpful to pretty much all of her children who did all get that gene. Uh, and it's been a blessing for us, you know, we can go in and do Excel and we can, I'm not, I'm not certainly going to write huge spreadsheets and everything else because I also don't have to. I can, and I get data from, you know, the service as a software companies or software as a service companies that we can, that, you know, they crunch all the data, but I can know how to look at it and see what I need to see. But without the data, I don't know how people make decisions. It's, it's amazing. I mean,
0: a lot of people make decisions based upon assumptions. And um, I think that's, that's probably the number one thing that people do is they make decisions without data, right? I mean, so I can't tell you how many times I've walked in somewhere and talked to somebody and said, what's the number one item that you, what's, what's your highest grossing margin item on your menu? And they'll say, I don't know. I go, what's your what's your food cost percentage? And they'll go, it's around 30. How do you know that? And they'll go, uh, oh, because... You know, it's, it's, that's what we think it is. And you go, how do you price your menu? And they go, well, we just looked at the other restaurants around the way and we priced them based upon what they charge. And you go, so you didn't use like your actual cost and margins to identify exactly what you should charge. And they go, well, no. And you know, how do you run a business?
1: Well, not <laughs> everybody. You, you know, one of the things I, I know, Brandon, having done this most of my life is that uh, most people really don't want to think about restaurants as a business. When you start talking, restaurant business to guests that you can see they get like bleary eyed and they're like oh i don't want to hear about any of that i just want to come in and have a good time and think it's you know, all magic you know that it, that it just happens you know i mean I, certainly the man i bought and i think i mentioned this before the man i bought green hills Girl from is an incredibly bright man with very successful businesses but he hadn't run large restaurants before and he said i thought i could hire a chef and a general manager and sit at the bar with my wife and friends which is kind of the dream everybody has that, that's fabulous and I don't really sit at the bar with my wife and friends very often at at, at work. uh, Although I certainly do come in with different people on a regular basis, but you can't just hire two people and expect it to be done. And I think that's tough to do in our business. It's too is too many misfit toys and too many variables that, you know, things that can go wrong. I mean, if it rains outside, you have to go to the back and get the rug and put it by the front door so nobody falls down.
0: You have so many of those little things. So many of those little things that these when something happens in a building, you innately know, like one of the things that always that I've just always been fascinated by is that even at Maribola, you're like, well, there's a party, we have a party in this room, so that door is blocked off. You go, oh, well, then just take table 13 and move table 13 over to where table 18 is. Then if you take this table, you can put a two-top here and you move it around and then it, there's flow. You're like, how did you think of that kind of stuff? Like, where do you, I don't know, just like when it rains, you That's have time. to do this.
1: That's just a hard part. I have a lot of experience in the restaurant because I like to work in restaurants. I mean, this is what I like to do. To me, that was fun making some of those decisions. So many people look at this as a business I can run through and I can do this job, this job, this job, and I can learn them all in two months and then I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be the you know, district sales manager. And, and I don't, you know, I, that well-run companies can identify the people who do those jobs best through things like Culture Index to know how to do it. But just because you think that's what you wanna do, it doesn't always happen. And don't shortcut the learning process. I mean, you have to do things. I had done jobs in the restaurant for you know extended periods of time, so I knew how to do them. So when it came time to, as a general manager at Green Hills Grill, talking to my other managers and developing them, I could actually work with them on, on, on what, how to do it correctly. It's, I mean, while training manuals have instruction manuals and all that actually sitting down with the bar manager and trying to figure out where his costs, where the variables are in his cost is something you actually have to sit down and do. And if you only spent two months doing it, maybe you got it. Maybe you didn't. Chances are because you didn't have patients learning that process, you're not going to have patients teaching the process either.
0: You mentioned your mom and you said earlier on in the interview that you are a, um, you didn't grow up in the hospitality business. Your parents, that's not what they did. However, You have, uh, how many siblings do you have?
1: I have four brothers and one sister.
0: You have five. I
1: was an altar boy for seven years, which is longer than anybody really wants to be an altar boy. (laughs) But I did a good job. My brother and I had a secret handshake when we did it together. It was kind of fun. then.
0: Do you still know the secret handshake?
1: Oh, yeah. We could pull it off right
0: now. Easy. Which brother?
1: Uh, My brother, Wes. Between Christopher and I. Wes worked with me at uh, Green Hills Grill. In fact, the nice thing about Wes was he looks a lot like me. So when Wes was working with me at Green Hills Grill, I was the single hardest working manager in all of Nashville. And then when he moved away, people people said, "Well, I never see you anymore." I thought, "Oh, darn it, my other half is gone."
0: <laughs> well, that was my favorite thing when I was there because you were both kind of taller guys. I'd walk up to the table and they would go, they, you look different." I'm like, "I grew hair," and they would yeah. always think I was you. It was hilarious. Uh, but you have, so your family, that like your brother works, um, he's the executive chef of both your restaurants. Um, talk about that. What's that like?
1: Christopher does, well, you know, again, because and we use culture and he has complementary skills to mine. I mean, he's doing different things than I am. Yeah, he's really even a more astute researcher of things than I am. And when you put him on something, he goes and he learns it. Um, he blends flavors. He's a self-taught chef. He worked in restaurants for a long time. Uh, he can blend flavors really, really well. He, he, More than anything, again, because Christopher spent a fair amount of time operationally in restaurants, he, he knows what it's like to actually have to cook something. You know, So often you get somebody who does that job for a short period of time because they're a classically trained chef, which my youngest brother, Peter, is a classically trained chef, went to culinary Institute of America. Amazing flavor profiles, but it, it, unless you actually know how long it takes to cook it, it's hard to put too many of those things together if you wait your menu where everything is coming off a saute, which we like to saute and use convection ovens and things like that, Uh, but you can give that guy too much work and the other guy's standing over there doing nothing. He can slide down and help him, but you got to balance it out. And Christopher's, because he's done every position in the restaurant except for bartending, he's pretty astute at that. But he's done plenty of bartending at home. He's good at that too.
0: How long have you guys worked together?
1: Oh, I don't even know. Probably 16, 18 years, 20 years, longer. I don't know when he graduated college and that's when he came to work with us. We, you know, he was taking his last summer off after college and the brother cook quit two weeks into the summer. So me and Wes ganged up on him and made him move to Nashville and start working under, under Andy Rucker, who's our current kitchen manager at Green Hills Grill.
0: Which is crazy. So, I mean, you have a Green Hills Grill, Andy Rucker. You started Green Hills Grill open in 1990. Tell us the story of the Green Hills Grill. I was getting get into all your brother's work in the restaurant business, but let's, let's, let's get into the actual story of the Green Hills Grill and let's get to the bottom of how this came about to where you were reopening it. And let's just get, because I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions to go, oh, I used to go when it was over there, but it was different and this and that. And like, I just, you started there. What position were you when you started at the Green Hills
1: Grill? Well, I, I was a server. Patty Nash was the manager and, and she hired me at Green Hills Grill and. December of 1992. My first day was December 4th, 1992. And I, I started there as a server. And uh, a week after I started there, Phil Hickey and Mike Hoffler, the two owners of the restaurant, uh, moved to Atlanta because they had agreed to uh, sell it uh, to, I believe, Ray Schoenbaum, <coughs> uh, you know, as, they were, as part of a different, a larger group at that point. Uh, but regardless, they would come back and do these meetings, and, and they just had set up a culture of brilliance there, and that people cared about what they did. Mike, uh, in a lot of ways, like Christopher, had to, I mean, he's an incredibly – these are two incredibly successful men, uh, Phil Hickey and uh, Mike Huffler. I believe that Phil's been nominated for Restaurant Operator of the Year Award, and uh, he's currently the chairman of the Board of Members Ale House uh, and Jim and Nick's <clears throat> Barbecue and so you're lucky enough to work in this system under what were really brilliant people and brilliant restaurateurs and they obviously their desire was to go and do you know multi-units and different things and they've both been very successful i didn't really want to move around and and, and do all that so i just kept learning at green hills Grove, realized i love to serve people and uh through attrition and everybody else just wanting to leave i guess i got to be the boss you know i got skipped over a couple times and that happens uh not to everybody in life, but it, but it did to me. But in the end, I, you know, I stuck it out there. I cared about it, loved it. My wife had a great job. You know, she had a professional job, which uh, certainly was contributing to our success. And it was hard for me to move for restaurants when her job was actually as good or better than mine.
0: And so Green Hills grill closed. Why did, why did the original Green Hills grill where, I guess the Orvis store is now. Why did that restaurant close and move to over by like the, the um, movie theater?
1: Uh, from what I understand, they missed a, a lease extension deadline. And so the last five years of the lease was not renewed. So they had to move. I, and knowing that at the point, I, I knew that uh, I probably needed to move. And, and by that point, I had worked at the restaurant for 11 and a half years. And you know, let's face it, like I said, I probably was there too long, which benefited me in the end but you're supposed to go and, and move on. And I really wanted to create restaurants at the time. So that's, that's what I was given the opportunity to do. Uh, but what happened there really is I had a phone call one day, and it was a gentleman who owned, uh, agent, are you interested in coming over here and helping us at Princeton's Grill? And I said, well, I'm interested in changing Princeton's Grill around if that's what he allowed me to do. So one thing led to another. We talked, and uh, I ended up leaving. It was, it was time to leave. You know, Jason Crockwell, the executive chef, who was an incredibly successful uh, caterer here in town with Flavor Catering, was the, uh, was, the, was the chef there at the grill, and he left very similar. I think within a month of one another, uh, we left. I think we both knew that moving to a different location, and we're in a different location now, but it, it, it takes some, you know, you got to want to do it right, and I don't know as though they ever did it as, as well as they could have.
0: So, so they would, the, that location at the movie theater didn't last very long. And um, do you have speculation why that didn't work?
1: I didn't work there, so no. And at that point, I was kind of persona non grata. Uh, although when you work for somebody for 11 and a half years and you leave, typically that, you know, and most people would say thank you or we appreciate you contributing to our success. But that really wasn't it. There were hard feelings like I shouldn't have left. I had one guest tell me that they would never eat any of my restaurants because I'm the one who ruined Hills Grill. And that's hard to hear as an operator, somebody who's, you know, not, I didn't own the restaurant. I don't sign the checks. I'm certainly not getting paid the revenue for the success of the restaurant. Uh, It was kind of tough to listen to some of that, but that's the reality of life. I've, you know, I've got a pretty thick skin, you know, being one of six kids, you know, you can't you get a lot of criticism because your mother blames you for things your brothers and sisters did. So.
0: I didn't know that. I didn't know that um, when you left that, people would say something like that. This is well before the internet. So you had yeah, to like went, hear people audibly say that to you.
1: I went to a direct competitor and, and I went and actually he did pay me some more money. Uh, but what he really gave me the opportunity to do was create. I mean, I'm really a pretty creative person myself. I picked the paint at my house. My wife does not. Um, you know, we, we've renovated our house here. I, I, I love the way it is. And Connie Long helped me with that. She also helped me beginning a Bistro 215, which we renovated Princeton's into Bistro 215 she's helped me on all of my restaurant projects you know throughout the throughout the years we have a great uh, we have a great relationship you know i'm able to come up with ideas and you know I, I trust her to tell me that i'm either that that won't work or mostly i can't afford it <laughs> 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 you know when you can't afford I remember one time where the we're at a trade show and i said well who usually buys that and the lady goes oh we just put that in oprah's house and i thought well there you go Tony uh-huh. was right i can't afford that so
0: but so We uh, love Connie. She's awesome.
1: We, we, we scramble around and, and make it happen. And Bistro 215 didn't end up being a really successful restaurant. I think it was a little bit ahead of its time here in Nashville. Um, I mean, we put a poached egg on a salad. Now, that's certainly not an unusual thing, but at that point, my word, you know, you'd have thought, you know. <laughs> I remember when we changed from smoking to non-smoking, and we of the guests that. Were you from California? This is a tobacco-grown state, and it's never going to change. I'm not from California, but... I also understood the liability aspect of smoking in the restaurant and why it was going to go away. And it did go away very shortly thereafter. So uh, one guy told me that he was probably pretty smart. He goes, never be the first one to change things because they're the ones who go out of business. And I thought, now I look back on that. I'm like, that's probably pretty smart.
0: So you (laughs) you spent some time opening some restaurants, um, for Danny York. I did. Right. You did, uh, Bistro 2 and 5, and then you had um, the Caney, Caney Fork Fish Camp, mm-hmm. which was such a – I did that one with you. I think that's – Bistro 2 and 5, I worked – I i was with you at Creation Gardens there, and then
1: – You were selling me high-margin produce?
0: High-margin produce. Uh,
1: I did get to go to hockey games on occasion. I guess it was a benefit.
0: Very quality produce. Yeah. Uh, seven was, days a week. High-quality, yes. We were doing a good thing. Every day. Uh, yeah, well,
1: you know, you did it well.
0: If we were going to hockey, that was Fresh Point years. Um, sorry, guys, to, to throw that out there. But that was so much fun opening Caney Fork Fish Camp just because the all of the stuff and then the catfish and just the whole concept was really a cool thing.
1: I literally went in my mom and dad's boathouse. They have a summer home in northern Wisconsin that's uh, 105 years old. And I literally went down in the boathouse and I took the oars out of the corner and I nailed them up in 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 the place. I mean, for me to create a, you know, kind of you know, fishing-themed, cabin-themed restaurant was tons of fun because I grew up in this, you know in the summertime in this area of northern Wisconsin that everybody went to. You know, in the 40s and the 50s, and you know, before we could jet around the world, that's just where people went. I mean, Eisenhower went up there fishing. You know, Elizabeth Taylor went up there and hung out on the lakes. It was, you know, it was kind of a, a glam place to go back. Uh, you know, back in the 60s, but then is, and it still is an extraordinarily nice place to go. But it was fun to take some of those old things and put them in the restaurant. I mean, I was in there the other day and there's still a picture of me and my brother on the wall and my grandfather and my mom and dad's, you know, fireplace up there. It's kind of fun to walk around and see all that.
0: Well, it's just uh, that's the question I was going to ask. I was say, have you been back? Because now it's something it's the same sort of concept. There's a different name and see the live catfish and. You know, it's live. It's it's more of a game type restaurant. Is that it? It's right over there.
1: It's a little different than it was. And, you know, here's the thing. Really, for that area, Christopher and I are used to selling very high quality, super fresh food. And I'm not so certain that in that area, that's exactly what was necessary. And I've learned a lot about restaurant business and business in general since then. And uh, it probably wasn't as successful as it should have been because the product was more expensive to make than it should be, than you could price it at. And it was also, we, we spent money renovating the restaurant itself and not the kitchen. And we did do some renovation in the kitchen, but the kitchen was not large enough to service the square footage of the restaurant.
0: So Caney Fork Fish Camp, you left there and you bought Bowl, right? How did. did that go down?
1: Well, I went to work for the gentleman, you know, Danny also owned Bowl, And one day he put me in charge of, he said oh by the way here you're responsible for that too and it was losing lots of money all the time in fact his controllers really scared the heck out of me you know i don't know i was talking to her about it one day and she goes that's the only restaurant i've ever worked with with danny that can never make any money there's no way that restaurant can ever make any money so then when he was firing me a couple months later and i, I came up with the great idea of buying one of her i said well how about you sell me one of your restaurants and and, and he goes which one and i said, "Well, Maribol. And I remember him looking at the spreadsheet and he had to be thinking "God, this guy, if he's dumb enough to actually buy this, I'll be happy to load it off on him. Uh, But we went in there and we did what we know how to do best, which is control expenses and make the experience better and do the right thing and make the food good. And it slowly grew. Uh, And I was looking at the sales because I was trying to go backward in time to see when we were actually doing the sales that we're doing right now, which was 2009, uh, which was also a recession. And we just grew it from then by doing the right thing and by entertaining people. I mean, when you when you want to be busy on a holiday, and people want to go out because they don't want to cook, you just have to build the mousetrap. Yeah, we sure. did that. You know, now not having any holidays obviously impacts the sales there. But, uh, but no, that was fun. It was a great experience. And then, you know, kind of back to your hiring people part. Uh, when I hired Matt, you know, one of my managers or former managers there. As a manager, and he was actually able to plug in and do some of the day-to-day operations things that I did. I had the, all of a sudden I had the time to think more openly and freely. And I remember I, I walked in Lee Crumb's house. He's the artist, and all of his uh, all of his artwork is on the wall at uh, at Green Hills Grill. It's kind of the southwestern and some old stuff. But I remember walking into his house thinking, "Well, if I ever did uh, if I ever did Green Hills Grill again, this stuff would work pretty well." And that kind of got me creatively thinking about. Well, we could, you know, do this and this. And then, you know, I then I just started looking at different spaces and driving around Green Hills and sitting in people's parking lots and figuring out which ones had the most parking.
0: Why did you want to do the Green Hills Grill again? Do you leave the Green Hills Grill? But was there just like something inside of you, like this love for that restaurant? Was it just such an important part of your time? Like, why bring back the Green Hills Grill versus starting a new concept that is similar? Like, what is the Bringing back that—is there something special with that particular concept?
1: Well, I think it goes back to the you know, in the days I started there. You know, I feel like created a restaurant that it, it was really for the community, and he and Mike did a great job. You know, Mike Hoffler being his partner of, of creating a restaurant that did the right thing. And when the community embraces something, I don't want to say I miss the community because we have a great community in uh, in Maryland Farms, but I didn't see a lot of crossover. And, and Mirabel is a little bit different. While we do have everyday guests and people who come all the time and people, it, it was an entertaining restaurant. It's a place where people, you know, engage people in business and they have meetings and events. And I mean, when you're in an event, it's not like you walk in the middle of the event and say, hey, everybody, how's it going? They kind of turn around and look at you like, why are you in here? Um, so on that kind of community, you know, warmth aspect, it, it, it wasn't as rewarding on a moment by moment basis as Green Hills. Then lots of people said, well, I wish you were in Green Hills. And I'll be honest, before all these restaurants were built in Green Hills, I mean, it was kind of a restaurant wasteland. There wasn't anything there. We would drive through Green Hills, my wife and I, and she'd be like, there's nowhere here I want to eat, just keep driving. Now there are a lot of restaurants in Green Hills. I mean, they've they've built many, many more restaurants, most of which are corporate-owned restaurants. But it, you know, it, it is, it is what it is. But I think the people in Green Hills wanted that community gathering spot and it took them a couple of years to remember that that's what we were and that, yeah we're not a fancy restaurant. I, I do tell people on a regular basis, I said, I did not send the menu to the James Beard Foundation because I'm not trying to win a prize. I'm just trying to feed people. And when I walk, watch people walk by the front window and I said, I've fed that person 200 times, you know, there, there's something about that that's a mutual respect. I certainly respect them tremendously and hopefully they're coming back again and again because they respect what we do and and what we offer them in exchange.
0: The Green Hills Grill is a very special place to me. Um, The day that I got it, like I'm in there working and I kind of being welcomed into that, the history and the community and just kind of Green Hills Grill, what it is. And I, I put it on a pedestal when you kind of you broke it down one day and you were going around the restaurant we were talking to people and you go this this is this is what it is this is the, this is my community these are people that come and eat here all the time and we don't want this to be a pretentious place where you, anybody can come here anytime and eat we want this to be the community restaurant for green hills and like everything made sense to me it was kind of a cool day cuz i was like okay, because I was kind of, I think, in that same realm of, like, Maribol, beautiful, nice restaurant. You know, it's very elegant. You're you're kind
1: of a food snob. And our food at Green Hills Grill is really good, but not in the same way. I mean, there's a difference between what an a la minute, you know, 50-seat restaurant does and what a 200-seat restaurant does. Or at Maribol, a 258-seat restaurant does. I mean, there's, they're completely, they're they're not completely different animals, but they're different. And I miss that. I'd like to learn more of that, to be quite honest. You know, I mean, I, I I'd like to get into that a little bit of that minutia and be able to do some really you know spectacular things but when you're you know when you have 15 to go orders going and you got 24 tables in the restaurant it's a little you know you, you got to manage what you can cook and how long you can spend on each minute of every, each piece of every item pretty well and make it taste really good and make it be fresh and make it be homemade because we make all our food there.
0: While while you're a guy that likes to bust I do see like to bust tables, but like you're certainly not afraid to get your hands dirty and get in there and make it happen. What I well, don't
1: like to see, Brandon, is I don't like to see unbust tables. If somebody well, I, gets up from a restaurant and people don't just move over there to take the things off, I mean, it, does, it looks unkempt. It looks dirty. It looks clean, uh, unclean. Why would you want somebody to, in your restaurant to be looking at a table that's not clean? I walked into a restaurant one time and they said, oh, we can only seat you in the smoking section. And this is back in the smoking days. And I moved the ferns apart in the smoking section to look in the rest of the restaurant. And I counted 21 unbussed tables. And all I can think of is, Oh my God, that's terrible. Why am I here? And then ironically they went and they sent people out to bust the tables. And, and when those dishes fell over, it was the second loudest noise I'd ever heard in a restaurant. Cause the guy stacked the bus tubs all the way up like seven high and okay. then they fell over when he started pushing them through the dining room. And uh, it was louder when the ceiling fell at Maribel. But that was the second loudest noise I've ever heard. And I thought, oh, it, just, it makes my skin crawl. That's why I bust tables, because I can't stand to watch them be unbust.
0: Do you know what my favorite shift was? My favorite shift ever? I may have told you this, but my favorite shift was Valentine's Day. And it was Valentine's Day at Green Hills Grill. We had a pretty good number of reservations. And you were over at Miracle, and uh, we were texting back and forth, like, what are you guys doing in sales? What are you doing in sales? Yeah. But I was so prepared and I got the entire team together and I had this huge rousing lineup and I'm like, guys, this is what we're doing tonight. We're, and I had everybody there. We had a Red Bulls. We were like jazz. We were pumped. We had all, we had the full staff. Everybody was there. We're all ready to go. And I made it our goal that night that full hands in full hands out, but we will have the table bust and reset before the people get to their car. That was the goal, right? Before the people that got up and left, their tables bust and reset. In the entire night, the entire team did that. We never went on a wait longer than five minutes. And on Valentine's Day, in a busy business, this is I think last year, Valentine's Day, no wait longer than five minutes. Everybody walked in, was like, you guys aren't that busy. Like, no, we are busy, but we're just operating at like 5,000 RPMs. And everybody's and on board. And they're all, everybody's on board.
1: Care. You got to care. And you got to get your people to care. Otherwise, it doesn't work. People who don't care are the worst thing ever.
0: It's the funnest shift in the world.
1: That is fun. When you do it like that and it's going perfectly. It, 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 I mean, again, that's... And it's rewarding. When you leave and you look at the sales, you're like, oh, great. On a snow day, the difference is on a snow day, it feels like that except then you look at the sales because you only had yourself and two other servers and it's like half of what you normally do for lunch. And you're like, Oh my God, that was the hardest (laughs) shit I ever did in my life. It felt like mother's day.
0: So, so we're talking about community in Green Hills grill. We affectionately call you the mayor, the mayor of Green Hills grill. It's
1: actually, you know, Clay Butler's job, but
0: well, thank you. I'm the, I'm
1: the vice mayor. I like the vice
0: mayor. (laughs) Uh, We all love Clay Butler. He's the best. Um, your, your. I, I was gonna ask you what's your favorite thing about running a restaurant, but I think I know the answer to that, and it's it's the people that dine there, right? It's the guests.
1: Yeah, well, it's pleasing I mean, an them and yeah. they like it, when people like it, and they distrust you, and they come back. I mean, is it a business relationship? It is, but really, it's more of a personal relationship. I mean, you go places again and again that you like to go to, or that you're taking care of at. Nobody goes, yeah, I mean, we all, you know, in the restaurant business know, you know, the story of the, you know, the the consumer that never comes back. You know, I'd prefer those rather than never come back and write about it on Yelp. You know, you know, you either tell me about it when you're there and I'd love to hear about it and fix it because I can fix anything in 20 minutes. I mean, think about how long it takes to cook food. Almost anything I can fix right away if you let us know what the problem is. If you don't, you got to do about it. But yeah, no, that's that's the key. It's a, it's a it's a give and take. And it's rewarding when people come back again and again. I mean, when I left the old Green Hills Grill, there were seven people that ate there twice a day every day.
0: How many employees do you have at the Green Hills Grill that worked at the old Green Hills Grill?
1: Right now, I think only, well, maybe five, I think. Five or six. Six. Well, if you oh, count our Bowl cuz there's several over there too. 7, 8, maybe it keeps going up. 8 here and there, you know, they come and go here and there, and then they come back. And that's the thing about my culture too. If you did a great job, you're always welcome back. It's not like you left and all of a sudden now I hate you. If you left and you went and tried something, I want everybody to try what they want to do in life. And not everybody's as lucky as me in doing what they want to do in life. If you want to go try something else, go try it. And then if it doesn't work out and you feel comfortable here, please do come back. I'll say, yeah, bring them back in. Almost so, always. Very rarely do I say, no, I don't. I mean, I can't remember. And you worked with me long enough uh, who, who didn't we want back? I, I don't think too many people.
0: No, I, I mean, you're a very uh, forgiving person, but also I mean I just uh, you, I think you you like to see other people happy and successful. You have a, you have the the quintessential spirit of service. It exudes throughout you.
1: Well, uh, I'm lucky.
0: Well and and that's why I think that this pandemic was so hard for you not to mention the financial aspect of it, just not being, you had to close Maribel, You stayed open throughout the entire thing at Green Hills Grill. It's not over. No, but- no. I think <laughs> have,
1: that's, this is the problem, by the way. We all thought it would be over, but it's not. And it's not going to be over in five months either for restaurants. Yeah, I, I mm-hmm. wish it was, but it's not. So we, we have to continue to just try to make it through to the end, you know.
0: So how are, how are the restaurants doing right now?
1: Well, people come to them every day, which is great. You know, I mean, at Green Hills Grill, we've been incredibly well supported by the by the community there, and at Bowl, I mean, the number of people who came the first day we were back open, I mean, it really warmed my heart. And you see all these people who you used to see all the time, and you know that they they're there to support you because they're trying to help, and that makes a big difference. Uh, one of the things that's uh, hurt us most at uh, Bowl is the, the obviously the lack of business events. I mean, most most corporate businesses have closed their offices or closed any events through the end of the year, at least some farther than that. Um, And that's a lot of what we depended on there. I mean, we have seven different dining rooms and we're able to do events and meetings of different sizes. Uh, So that's kind of tricky. In in Green Hill, we're 50% capacity. And it pains me that, you know, my 80 year old guests, you know, who love to sit at the bar every time can't actually sit at the bar because you're not allowed to sit at bars in Nashville. But I understand why that is in different areas, you know, whether or not that, that's good for business in the end and we'll put people out of business, we'll hopefully not see that, but it could be. Um, but but people have been able to come back in there in a 50% capacity, we're still able to feed some people and we've done 35% of our business in to go on a regular basis, which makes a huge difference. I mean, executing that piece and doing that well really uh, made the day there and helped better both restaurants. I mean, we are at about 65% for both restaurants is that bad? I don't, you know, unfortunately we as tours. everybody talks to you, Brandon. So you should tell me, uh, you should ask everybody that question, but I, I don't know. Cause we don't get together for coffee every Friday morning, unfortunately.
0: Well, that's one of the reasons why I really want to do this show is that I, or this, these interviews is because I, I feel like this could be, this could bridge a gap. This could be something that people can hear how you're doing. And I want to, because I think you're an exceptional operator and I think that some of the things that you do are it's not rocket science but you utilize technology oh, um, a lot, yeah. you it's utilize important. what's some of the best what's some of the best tech that you have out there what are you using that really is is helping you
1: well other than culture index which just helps you put the right people in the right seat I mean if, if this person's either a, a, you can tell when somebody's not a server, then they're just lost their job and they're trying to go do this. That doesn't really fit for us. And you can usually tell that within two weeks of somebody starting. Uh, we use Zenput, it's an online checklist. I mean, literally, you, everybody wants checklists and standard operating procedures. This is just an online standard operating procedure. And when the bartender looks at it and clicks off, yes, I did that, you know, it turned off the water, you know, washed the bar mats. Did a because if you don't have a list, some people don't need a list. I don't. I don't really need a list much, but a lot of people do and they just don't do it. They walk out the door like, "Oh, I think I'm done." So that helps keep hold people accountable. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Uh, you know, we use online scheduling software because that's the way people nowadays want to be communicated to. They want to see it on their phone, they want to be able to trade shifts on their phone, and really it works great. It, you know, ironically because I'm not on that every day i don't see it every day but i can see it in the business how important it is and how well it works you know we we moved to toast which is a newer pos system and i have to say everybody's anxious about toast oh is it going to because they do the credit card processing and are they going to hold everybody up into the future probably so but maybe not <laughs> <laughs> but that's why nobody wanted to do it but their tech and operating i mean the way it works it i mean i don't want to say it's brilliant but. You should be on this if you're on a restaurant and you're not on it. I mean, the ordering at the table thing, I remember six or seven years ago when I'm like, why can't we just, why can't you just put the POS on everybody's telephone? And they could, by the way, but they wanted to charge an individual licensing agreement for every phone at $1,200, which doesn't make any sense. Well, now when they hand you the hardware and you can actually order from the table at Green Hill's Grill, and you can take payment at the table, you know, and you can you know process gift cards at the table, you can do everything. it it's touchless. It's like it is in Europe. When the bank said, the moment you take away the credit card and take it somewhere else, I'm responsible for it, if it's if it's fraud, well, people just said it was fraud. You could have a $500 bill, and if I swipe the card, you could say, oh, that I didn't do that, and the restaurateur has to pay for that. When the bank lobby got that through, ironically, the uh, there's no hardware available. I went to the hardware guy, and I said, okay, what are we doing? He goes, well, don't buy any of the stuff they have right now, because none of it's any good. <laughs> they came up and obviously they're a well-funded company and pretty darn fast they made it happen i mean the online ordering we can do all of our to-go online ordering which i think now well over 25 percent of all of our uh, all of our to-go is somebody we never talked to which makes it really easy the menu is yeah. on the thing you just pick out what you want pay for it and hit send we'll take it to you because that time on the telephone takes a lot of time people deciding what they want i mean I, you know, you, you can't hire enough people to be on the phone if you're really busy.
0: No, I, I, I completely understand. What about reservation systems? So you guys moved to Resy over at Green Hills Grill, and I'm asking this not because I know the answer, and I'm just wanting you to say it because I'm, I'm that's new to me. Moved to Resy over at Green Hills Grill and open table still at Maripol, but why move away from open table? And I don't think a lot of people understand how open table works, and I'd love to. You know, I think it's good to educate the, the people that are potential guests or people that dine or other restaurateurs. Is exactly how some of this stuff works.
1: Open table uh, number one. Fifteen years ago, the, the res- online reservation system didn't work, so there was no line item on our P. as a business person, I, I, I you know, people called on the phone and we we put it in and we made it happen. Uh, when open table, which was uh, which was really a brilliant mm-hmm. re- brilliant you know invention. You know, basically being able to go online and make a reservation. What they are is they're a marketing company. What open table is doing for me is marketing seats in my restaurant to guests for a fee. For every person that every every person that you book, like if Brandon goes online and says, Okay, I'm gonna bring four people to Green Hills Grill at six thirty tonight because I want Steven to know that and I come every Wednesday, uh then I pay four dollars for that. Well, at Bowl where I might have somebody in town from Kansas City, or I might obviously and on holidays there, it works pretty well, but I'll get back to that. Um, then you pay a dollar a person. If you have a group of 12 people coming to Bowl, I pay $12 for that. At Bowl, my check average is double typically, not right now because we're during COVID, but typically it's double what it is at Green Hills. Girl. Green Hills is a little bit over $20. So a dollar per person at Green Hills is 5% of the money that I take from the guest. Well, we just realized that 5% of the money in COVID was way too much money. And let's face it, at Green Hills Grill, I, I mean, if I fed somebody 200 times, why am I paying them a dollar? Why, why would they want me to pay a dollar so they can let me know they're coming? For them, it's really convenient. And they wanted that, well, you know, Resi does the same thing. They can go on the Resi app and they can say, I want to be here. It's got some other tricks of the thing on there and make it happen. And with holidays, I mean, at Maryville on Mother's Day, we could probably book 5,000 people if we had 5,000 seats, but we don't have 5,000 seats. It's nice that it organizes it and does it all for us, but I was like, well, why don't you have the guests pay the dollar? Because they probably would pay the dollar to get the reservation, but they won't do that. They still make me pay it, and I mean, we paid Open Table over $80,000 last year between my two restaurants. I mean, $80,000 is a lot of money that's 80, more than a lot of restaurants yeah. make in a whole year even if they're good and doing a good job i mean there's a fantastic number and when i tell that to guests they have no idea they're like you did what and i'm like yeah we paid eighty thousand dollars to open table I, you know and here's the deal they'll they, it's a quarter if you go on my website but as one of the guests at mirabol said well i went on your website like you said and i and i do my reservations there now so I only cost you a quarter but they didn't give me my points i'm like well i don't i don't i mean points we pay for all the credit card points anyway You know, every point, every airplane flight you go on, I'm paying for. They just charge me three, three and a half percent for it. So nowadays you can get cash back. So I pay you cash back to dine at my restaurant, too. Wow. Which is, you know, I want people to come. I'm all for marketing. You got to get them to come in somehow. I really want people to come because we have a fun place. We do a really good job. We have really nice people. Not because I'm giving you two percent back on your purchase. Well, just raise the price and give everybody back two percent. But because we're a hyper-competitive business, it, in industry, it doesn't work like that.
0: Well, so so what, what can you tell the guests? I mean, if you're telling the guests, what's the best way to do it? If you go to the Bowl website to make a reservation, it costs you a quarter. If you go to open or, table, yeah, Google, it different costs a dollar. dollar.
1: Yeah, is and that right? Mean, yeah, and and you know, I shouldn't complain. I'm blessed to have it, but I don't think people realize that. And tech is pretty smart because when they make life people's lives easier and pass on the cost to somebody else, that we just pay for it. So but you wonder why more small businesses are going out of bed. I mean, that's part of it. It doesn't it, you know eighty thousand dollars that I didn't have to pay twelve years ago that I do have to pay now, I gotta we raise the prices and everybody pays for it.
0: Well, so I think this is part of the education. I mean, this is why we talk about it. I'm not saying that you're complaining about it, but I'm saying is that restaurants are going out of business and people out there are saying oh well i'm going to go support restaurants so i'll go to open table make a reservation and go eat there or i'll call uber eats and i'll get food delivered there and you go well the, the restaurant no, has to pay uber eats what's that uber don't eats has you have to the restaurant 30 percent that's well, what why they not? Quote, yeah. well i mean that's what they quoted you 30 percent So, i mean if you're if you want to help the restaurant go pick it up don't order like I don't want to say don't order Uber, Uber Eats because order a lot of people are like, no, 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 order Uber Eats. That's fine. We need the sales.
1: Well, what I mean successful to us is we do it ourselves. And, and And again, delivery, taking the food from the back door of a restaurant to somebody's house is not worth 30%. But here's what Uber Eats is. They're not a home delivery company. They're a marketing company. They're marketing my restaurant to their people, and that's what they say. I mean, they call me all the time. Oh, everybody wants Green Hills Grill. They ask why we're not on your why you're not on our site. They, we'd love to have you on here, and I'm like, well, then why don't you pay me? Because <laughs> you're just going <laughs> to mark up my prices and pass it on anyway. But no, then they, I'm like, well, can you do it for you know twelve percent, fourteen percent? No, we can't do that. Well, how? I mean, but you say I'm in demand. So, and, and I think that the, the CEO of one of these companies said, we're going to take your guests and charge you to get them back. I mean, he's on the record of basically saying that exact thing. Well, think about it. I mean, all of my food in our business typically costs, you know, 30 to 35%. The people cost, you know, 27 to 35%. How can delivering it from my back door to your house, sometimes across the street or to the office upstairs, I mean, how can that really cost me 30% and how do they price that? And ironically, they're not making any money on it, but their valuations keep going up. You know, I wish, Brent and I, I really wish you and I would have come up with that idea. That'd have been a really smart idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Me me too.
1: You know, but no, it's, it's, it's just, and I don't know how other people are doing it. They're marking up their menus and they're charging delivery fees. They just add on all the fees. So, I mean, we do charge a delivery fee because that's what everybody charges but the delivery fee goes into paying for the cars, the gas, and the insurance and almost covers it. Hmm. But 30% covers a lot more than that.
0: So again, I think this is just something that I want. If you're not like a restaurant person, you're not a restaurant owner, just to kind of understand how some of this stuff works. The technology is really cool and it can be very helpful, but as far as things you can do to help restaurants, um, Going to their website and making the reservation, or picking up the food if you can, is is good. It helps the restaurant put more money in their pocket. Uh, and if, if you're a restaurant and you've negotiated down Uber Eats to the ten percent, then more power to you. I don't want. I'm not trying I don't to think anybody's done that. I mean, your large sales.
1: corporations can do that, perhaps. But again, I don't think people lay those sight of the guy across the street from me. That's a large corporation that's publicly traded, uh, and, and then myself. I mean, when Restoration Hardware put a restaurant in, this is a publicly traded company that had a valuation of $4 billion when that restaurant opened across the street. It's not the same business as me. They're selling $20,000 couches and they just have food there so that you come in and can drink a glass of wine, I guess. I don't even understand the concept. And it's probably not the best concept they ever came up with at this moment, by the way. Uh, but it, it, it's, I can't be competitive with that. I, don't have, I can't pay $20,000 for a couch for you to sit on and go out of business. It's a nice it, couch. Yeah, well, it's a pretty nice couch. I and mean, Restoration Hardware has some really nice nice furniture. I mean, I'm not going to – their stuff is nice. But it's funny. When the food is just there as an accoutrement to selling the furniture, it's hard to compare and compete. And when we've come to a point where all restaurants are is a, like a window dressing and anybody can do it. And these large companies can just afford to lose money on restaurants to bring in. I, people like us are really at a dangerous spot. It's tough. It's going to be tough for us to do that and compete with those types of places.
0: Yes. And that is why I continue to say eat local, continue to eat at locally owned and operated restaurants. Uh, I'll say it again. I say it every show. This this is the exact reason why. What do you think the future holds? What what are the future holds for your companies? Where do you think you're going to be uh, Green Hills Grill, Amir Bowl?
1: Well, I think when you get to be uh, when you get to be my age, you, you realize that, you know, a, a year or a year and a half or two years isn't an, an end time amount of time. I mean, when you're 21 years old, two years, is a long time. And I certainly understand that, you know, and when you're <laughs> when you have a two year old child, that time from two to four seems like a long time. Um, but when you're in a business person, you just have to project out. You, know, you have to use math, the spreadsheets, you know, that my mother taught us or that you know we learned because of her. And, and you have to figure out how long you can go and what you can spend and where you have to pair your expenses and, and save it and what you can do with the real estate i don't own either of my real estate um, and, and both landlords have been uh, somewhat agreeable you know to to some rent some rent reductions but not a tremendous amount what looked certainly at the beginning but now as we stretch into 14 15 months and i know we're only five or six months in but i, I think we're gonna Restaurants are going to feel the effect of this for a long time. The first quarter is going to be really difficult for most all restaurants. I mean, individual large leverage companies, and we've already seen you know a lot of these large chains, you know, file bankruptcy. It, it, it's going to be tough. You're going to see chain restaurants that are underperforming just close those locations because they can. Uh, in Green Hills, there, are, there aren't a lot of those, I don't think, but I think you'll see that happen. Um, I think on the event side, we all have to strategize, and and I know those of us in the industry, it's a really competitive industry, so we don't want to give away all our secrets, but we're going to have to strategize how we're going to do events, and we don't know what that's going to be. I mean, if we shut down the offices and nobody comes into the office, well, how how often do you have to get everybody together to keep your culture vibrant, and can you keep your culture vibrant from a company standpoint? If you don't people get your people together, I, I, I'm, I'm not in those businesses, so it's difficult for me to say. But I think that's a question mark and a challenge for all of us. And if you can come have a meeting at Green Hills Grove and have a luncheon, uh, if you can have some type of themed event, I mean, these are things that you know we're, we're thinking into the future of what we have to do uh, to entertain people. I, I think it's going to be a little bit more entertaining to go along with it. Yeah, you know, I think I told you that my favorite uh, statement was from. One of my guests the other day who said if they think we're gonna do these trade shows digitally or you know, we're gonna do these trade shows by Zoom all the time, they got something coming because I'm not this ain't no boondoggle. I gotta get somewhere and have a good time with my work friends. And I thought that that made me smile and it made my heart feel good because that's what we need. I mean, downtown is the perfect example of I gotta get together with my work friends because on the weekends you're getting all the people from out of town and they're still getting some of that. But during the week, that is a corporate event driven. You know, convention center-driven business that is very vibrant and and very important to certainly the tax base in our economy. So, if we can get it rolling a little bit faster, it would be helpful for those folks I know. And it's good to hear say you that because then make- they come back to us too. Do
0: you feel like you're going to make it?
1: Yeah. I well, I have some money saved. You know, I'm not. I, I you know, I certainly don't live too far beyond my means. And my children were parents of the depression, so. I, I've tried to save some money and all of my cars are paid for I, You know, most of my staff drives fancier cars than I do, uh, including you, Brandon. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that that's part You're of not. it. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to try to, you know, I, my wife said to me the other day, she goes, I sure wish you'd go, go out and buy something, go shopping, because I, I want to go get some clothes. I got to go <laughs> get something new. And I'm like, no, it's not going to happen. I said, I got belts and pants. In fact, I looked in my closet, and when you look and you have a pandemic like this, you're like, I really do have a lot of things I can wear. And I know all the corporate people are like, hey, you're going to donate it all because they're not going to wear it ever again, or so they don't think.
0: I got a lot, I got a lot of clothes that uh, mm-hmm. I got, got, got dust on them, a lot of slacks, mm-hmm. and a lot of dress shirts right now that I'm happy I'm not wearing.
1: I mean, so- I do walk for a living, so I'm getting to the point where I probably need to buy some shoes because I wear out shoes. You know, My wife always says you know, that I have twice as many shoes as she does, and I told her I'd walk more than twice as many miles, so that's how that goes. And when you're 200 and 225 pounds, you wear out some shoes.
0: Well, uh, I wish you nothing but the best of luck, Steven. And I know that we will continue to talk on a regular basis. Um, we are, I'm going to wrap our conversation. We're at the hour mark. I have a feeling that I'll be doing this podcast. I'm going to do, I'm going to try and do this podcast for years and years to come. And I have a feeling that you'll be a regular on the show. So we can, we can, jump back on. I'd love to have you co-host the roundup with us for a whole day and just kind of chat and talk, but thanks for telling your story and kind of thanks for talking about the things that you do to make what you do unique. I know there's a a million things that we can talk about um, going forward, and I wanted to hold some of those things back, but the last thing that I like to my guests to do is I give them an open floor, say whatever you want, as long as you want, talking to the people of Nashville, whoever's listening, Uh, maybe it's your guests, maybe it's your kids. I don't know. What would you like to say? The floor is yours.
1: Well, I want to thank my guests, but the real value to my restaurants are the people that work there. I mean, to have people that have been there for 20 years and 27 years. And I mean, I have some people that have been there a year and a half who are as fabulous every bit as the people that have been there 27 years. You know, I I mean, Ron Smith at Green Hills Grill works every shift every day. I've never met anybody in my life. The only day he took off last year was Christmas day. And I don't know, I, you don't know, and who who knows anybody who does that or can do that, but it's what he does and what he cares about. And he loves that restaurant. He loves the community, uh, you know I mean? Uh, Doris, who's not currently working, you know, is, is a host that has been at the grill for 27 years. She's taught almost everybody in that building what to do. I haven't done that. I'm not. I'm not a great host teacher. I'm not a great server trainer. I'm really not even a great manager trainer. You know, like I said, Andy's been there 27 years. Josh at Maribol, he's been the, he's been the chef for 13 years there, the kitchen manager. He does, he's amazing. You know, I walked behind the line today and said, Hey, here's what we're good. here's what I'm thinking. He goes, I got it. So that's fun. It's really the, the people that work there. that are the important part. I love to be there with them. That's fun on a good day. You know, that's the easiest part of the day. So, you know, my hat's off to them and to the people who come and see us all the time. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you, Stephen, for your years of dedication to your community. I know there is a ton of things that you do beyond walking around and seeing families and welcome them into your building. There's a ton of things that you do for the community that you don't broadcast, that I'm not going to broadcast, that I, I kind of am, but I'm. You're, you've done amazing things for... Um, for Nashville and the restaurant community. And I say, thank you. Thank you for me. Um, you've made amazing. Um, you've been one of my best friends and uh, amazing changes in my life. And I just want to say thank you for that. And thank you for joining us today. This was a lot well, of fun.
1: It's awesome. Thank you, Brandon. I appreciate everything everybody does.
0: Another big thank you to Steven Smithing for coming on the show today. If you want to check us out on TikTok you will find a video of Stephen reading a one star review of somebody on Christmas Eve. And it is hilarious. Uh, thanks to all of the chefs and restaurateurs who have read uh, one star reviews for me for our TikTok page. Also find us on our social media pages on Instagram and Facebook and like and follow for all up to date news of everything that we're doing. Appreciate you guys listening. Hope that you are being safe out there. Love you guys. Bye.